Hello everyone and welcome to episode 161 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Belgian Grand Prix in between Spa and Frankenstein, Belgium. Hi, I'm Robin Warner and oh my god, first of all, sorry we couldn't do it right away, but gosh, we have a huge uh, list of things to talk about. The um, Alexander Rossi almost drive that ended up not happening. Andre Lauderer, three-time Le Mans champion racing for Caterham. We had, uh, well, connected to Alexander Rossi in the Max Chilton controversy. And then, of course, uh, Hamilton and Rosberg are entertaining, as always, with their fun uh, little fits. So we got to jump right into it. Jim Lau. Yes. You're dad. That's true. That is basically the, uh, the the reason for the delay here, and those who follow us on Facebook will have known because I've made a little uh, mention about this. I now have a daughter, uh, and she was born basically midway through Q2, like into Q2, beginning of Q3 right. from Spa. Uh, not in Spa. We were in Michigan. <laughs> uh, but I was, I was watching. I had, we had, I had the Wi-Fi in the hotel, and my wife was doing there, and she was doing amazing. And, uh, you know, this, this kind of ramps up over time. You know, those that have had children kind of know, you know, the, the way the whole birth process happens if all goes normal. And, oh, uh, don't be like that. Ooh, so, those with children would know. Well, Whatever, man. Okay. Um, so I was, I was watching. I was following qualifying. I had my laptop there. And I'm, you know, of course, there to support my wife and do, you know, important, like, father-to-be duties as well. But, you know, keeping an eye on the qualifying. And I'm like, oh, man, it's raining. And were then it's getting like, dry. Were and, you like, push, honey, push, push, push. No, whoa! No. Because um, that would be funny. Get so the baby and it, pushing and yeah. then qualifying. But then, yeah. like, basically when Q1 ended, like, you know, things uh, things in the in the hospital room started getting a little bit more serious. So I had to put the laptop away and then uh, was away from Formula 1 until um, a couple of days later after um, trying to get some sleep and get everything figured out. But, yeah, I have a little baby daughter now, and she's adorable, and it's uh, it's pretty great. So I apologize for the delay, but uh, deal with it. And little, here we are. Little tapenade. I'm, I've, I've not met her yet. I'm very excited, too. Yeah, man, she's cool. So she watched uh, Spa with me. Um, she, to be honest, slept a lot of the way through it because she was, you know, between one and two days old at the time. She we, has high standards. When we watched it. But uh, so far, uh, as far as she's concerned, F1 is a very exciting thing with lots of, you know, controversy and team orders. Not team orders drama, but uh, intra-team battles. Well, kind of, sort of. And, you know, the, I was thinking at this point, her first words may be racing incident uh, with everything we have to talk about. Well, uh, what did uh, Baby Olive think of the sounds of Formula One? Oh, she thought they were great. Um, the reason I bring it up is I was actually reading, I'll admit, it's a slightly old issue of um, Car Magazine, which is an English uh, magazine, and I saw a little tidbit from Tom Clarkson, who is listed as an F1 insider. And, okay, so this was the, I can read, May 2014 issue of Car. And uh, I just wanted to read a little passage here and uh, get your reaction to it. Tom Clarkson says, Fear not, Formula One is on the right path. The noise has reduced this year, as Bernie Ecclestone keeps reminding us, but the sport is back at the cutting edge of technology with the new V6 turbo powertrains. And the 50 decibel drop from 2013 has introduced a series of unexpected audio pleasures. It's now possible to hear other parts of the car working. When the driver pulls on the gear shift paddle, you can hear the cog being rammed into place. Stand at a corner, such as the tricky downhill left-hander in Bahrain, imaginatively named Turn 10, and you can hear the inside front wheel squeals as it locks up. Oh, hold on. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. When a driver has a failure, like Kimi Raikkonen's lap one puncture in Malaysia, you can hear his Ferrari diffuser dragging along the ground. 
The sport has taken away noise with one hand, but has given us new sounds with the other, while assuring its medium-term survival. Without these technical changes, Renault would have pulled out and Honda would not be returning in 2015. Fact. The sound of 2014 F1 has summed up beautifully by... Oh, sorry, excuse me. The sound of 2014 F1 was summed up beautifully by the sport's newest actor friend, Benedict Cumberbatch. He said, F1 is still utterly thrilling, he said at Sepang. It feels like you're on another planet with alien spacecraft landing at your feet. The aliens will become less foreign with time, and even the most cynical observers will want to celebrate the technology transfer from F1 when many of these racing systems... I'm sorry, when many of the racing uh, systems racing this year appear on road cars. Sorry about that, bugger that up. These are exciting times for F1. Can I hear you agreeing with me? And so I read that little bit and thought of you, Jim, first and foremost. And I was like, that is a analytical, objective, well, uh, well-summarized reason to be okay with the new sounds and i thought you'd like to hear it and then we could talk about it in a minute because you know for once you and i should talk about the sounds of f1 yeah i feel like that's something that we you know we haven't ever talked about before and, and something we should you know pay some mind to and yeah so i i of course i'm happy to hear that basically that's been my position pretty much all along um is that it's you know it, it gives us some different stuff and it's worth it overall and that's a good thing and you know if it if it helps make road cars better even that's that's awesome too so Cool. It, 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 it will. I, I'm. That's always been my biggest pro. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that's. Uh, you know, I'm definitely um, happy to hear that other people are are on board with that. And I think in general, um, you know, obviously it, it keeps getting, it keeps being brought up over you know time and time again. And there are certainly some people who feel very passionately that the sounds are terrible and that it's rubbish and that it's not F1 and it's terrible. But um, I think a lot of just general populist people have been has kind of come around on it and have sort of been like, okay, yeah, it's different, and certainly any change is going to be a little bit of jarring and whatever, but that um, we have seen lots of great racing. The fact that we have plenty of other things to talk about, and even though we have one very dominant car right now, that's not who won today, or, you know, what, a week and a half ago. That's right. not who won at the, at the Grand Prix. Uh, and, and, you know, there's plenty, to, uh, plenty of other good angles and things to follow. So it's not... Um, you know, not a problem as it was once seen. It's it's different, and some people like it, and some people don't, and I can respect that. But it's uh, you know, it, it's it's got its place, and uh, I'm I'm happy to hear that because, of course, that's uh, that's been my position for quite a while. Okay, so no more delays. We can we can get into what will no doubt be the considered the best race of the season. There it is. This is unequivocal this time. No, we're totally for reals. I mean, there's really one. One part of this race, I mean, you can you can jump around it all you want, but there's really one part of this race that everyone is talking about, and that is Kimi Räikkönen came in fourth place today, ahead of Fernando Alonso, who was in seventh. That is the I think that's the big story from Spa, right? Kimi Räikkönen outraced Fernando Alonso, and good on him for doing so. And listen, this is his racetrack. If there was one place where Kimi was more comfortable than any other, this is it. And my God, what a great place to be comfortable. As we talked about um, recently. I actually went to Spa recently, and oh my god, that place is insanely beautiful. From a from a racing point of view, from a, a just fan of race tracks point of view, and just from a person that likes countryside. If you point like of forests, view, it's yeah, good, it's good for that too. It's pretty much just it's perfection, darn near. And uh, so, if you're going to be good at one place, that'd be the place I'd want to be good at as well. Uh, he, it's been a long time coming for Raikkonen. 
And especially after what happened, was it Germany where he crashed out on the first lap or England? You I know, think it was Spa German. was long enough ago. I am not yeah, going to make any claims it. about what happened race or two ago. Anyway. And I don't get much sleep these days. Cause, this you was, know. well, uh, this was proper redemption that Kimi needed. Um, and it's funny because there is an even bigger elephant in the room. But the thing I want to talk about first and build from there is... I think it's pretty darn cool that Andre Lauderer is in the car. Yeah, so we went from um, – I, I double-checked. Um, this was the first uh, driver change in this entire year. You know, We've had lots of silly season talk about what's going to happen next yes. year, who's going to be where. But so far this year, it has been the same 22 drivers from the very beginning until, uh, until before Spa. And then all of a sudden, we had – uh, Andre Lauder taking uh, Kumui Kobayashi's place at Caterham, yes. um, which I thought was interesting. You know, as, as you know, um, we're you know fans and followers of sports car racing and whatever, and certainly have seen Andre Lauder do very well in Audi in the last few years in Le Mans and has had quite a good career there. He did apparently uh, test an F1 car a long time ago and has been you know as it he was, was a minority, yeah, working his way up through the through the the various ladders and, he was, and so on. Of course, an open wheel guy originally, right. Um, and, you know, because not many kids, you know, you go carts and stuff. Not, not many kids, like, start in sports cars. You know, usually it's sort of a sidestep in a career and, and so on. But Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's true. For young guys that start at the age of five or six, yeah, that's generally true. But, no, there, there are a lot of people that do aim at sports cars from the beginning. Sure. But um, he's, he's done well. Obviously, um, with sports car experience, that should be... Um, you know, they just recently raced in Spa, and he was in uh, the Blank Pain series as well, wasn't he? Uh, driving uh, something in that series as well. I mean, separate from WEC. Um, I think, I don't know, one of the articles, I think he, he's, he's got recent experience there. Um, I, that doesn't uh, trigger any specific memories, but uh, that, I, that would not surprise me. Him? There were definitely Audis there. Yes. Um, there were former F1 drivers there. Uh, certainly, um, I spoke with Jerome D'Ambrosio. So there were high-level, high-profile drivers there generally, and if Lauderer were there, I would not be surprised. However, I don't specifically remember. Yeah, it was a one-off uh, a one-off event for Spa. So anyway, he was just there a couple weeks ago when you were just there. Yeah, probably um, for one of the Audi team. Yeah, probably. But he's also, um, you know, he's been good at the endurance part of sports car racing, but also... Um, has you know set a really good series of fast laps and things like that. So he think, seems like a you know a qualified guy for the job. Um, it's a shame that it was Kobayashi's seat that he took and not Marcus Ericsson's. I mean that does uh, kind of you know show you it's not you know if it was just about getting some more experience in the car. I think a lot of what the point of uh, you know what was said about the Caterham deal anyway uh, was that. Um, neither of their two drivers, Kamui Kobayashi, is you know has been regarded as like a natural talent and definitely um, has taken some ballsy moves and things like that. Absolutely, um, but storming good on brakes too. Right, but not necessarily so good at engineering feedback or really helping to develop a car, or move it forward. And Marcus Ericsson is obviously much younger and, and newer to the whole thing. He may not have a good baseline to make good engineering comments as well. So Lauderer, having lots of experience in lots of different cars and tires and you know weather conditions and all that, um, would be uh, uh, you know he's, he's older, uh, 34. Which which is pretty old. 32. 32. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, He's not as old as I am. That's crazy. Yeah, that's way old. Um, But, uh, you know, it should be, should sort of make sense. But it's, it seems like if they just needed that kind of feedback, that they'd be better off um, replacing Marcus Erickson, who's very, I mean, no caterhams are likely to score points in any of these. So it's really just kind of about who they get exposure to and what deals they have and the money and all that. But it seems like Kobayashi to still do his crazy Kobayashi thing and then get Lauder into uh, Marcus Erickson's car. 
um, that would have made a little bit more sense. But uh, obviously, we're not the guys that make uh, these decisions. And not, not yet, anyway. It's all about the you know checkbooks and sponsor deals and all those kind of things. So that is what it is. Um, but that, that said, so uh, that said, Andre Lauderer in qualifying. I mean, his first time in the car was the day before, right? And in qualifying, he his best lap was better, almost a second better. Right. Than Marcus Erickson's and, best lap. And it was at the very end of the session, because I was watching that very closely, because for everything except his very last lap, Lauderer was outside the 107% rule. And this is one of those few cases where you could really make, uh, it would be, uh, at the FIA would make a, a tough case to um, to not enforce the 107% rule. Like every once in a while they'll say, okay, yeah, these guys didn't qualify, you know, didn't specifically set a time within 107% of the fastest lap, but we're still going to let them race because it was just weird weather or the timing was this or, the, you know, in practice they showed better pace and so on. But this is one of those cases where, like, if if he were, you know, as a, you know, basically a rookie to F1 here in the modern era and so on, like, as a rookie to F1, if he can't show himself to do a good enough lap time to get in within that 107%, he might not even be allowed to race at all. And yeah. that would have been a huge shame. But on the, his very last flying lap, you know, he may have been, you know, timing laps and, and slowing up for traffic and doing various things. But for whatever reason, it came together for him. And he, like you say, completely jumped uh, his teammate and outqualified him, I think, you know, very, you know, it was it was it wasn't that close to even the cars in front, but it was at least you know all you can do I guess to really prove yourself in any given F1 car is outqualify your teammate, and he did so um, even though Marcus Ericsson has a whole lot more. He's got you know most of the years of experience now, so that was very cool to see that he proved himself and it you know definitely said what he needed to say. Unfortunately, though, his race was over just after it began, where at the end right. of lap one, all the electronics in the car failed uh, because, I guess, we had over too many bumps and uh, something shut down. Um, so not his fault, really. Uh, it seems like the car should be able to handle that, and uh, just kind of a shame. And then there was talk of him coming back for Monza, and apparently Lauderer turned it down. And I saw some people on Twitter uh, joking about how that how that phone call must have been. Uh, Interesting. Because it's like, you know, he gets the call from Ken, and like, hey, Andre, you want to drive for us again? He's like, nah, nah I'm good. It, it's fine. Uh, so it's 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 sort of wild after proving himself uh, to uh, you know to come back and uh, not take it. So it likely will be Kamui Kobayashi in the catering for Monza uh, and probably for the rest of the season unless something else crazy happens or somebody else shows up waving a checkbook and who knows. That's I I I I read earlier reports that uh, you know it was going to be for the rest of the season that Andre Lauderer was in the car, but then I read things more recently that were saying oh maybe this was just a one off. That's fascinating that Andre Lauderer was uninterested. Perhaps maybe what it was is Audi was uninterested in Andre Lauderer being interested. Who knows? Yeah, there's certainly more to it than just what one guy at Caterham wants and what Andre Lauderer himself wants. But, um, yeah, I think it was a, a, just destined to, you know, to be a one-off and then sort of see how it goes. And, unfortunately, uh, it, it, you know, through no fault of, of Andre's, it, it went poorly. Um, but yeah. uh, you know, Andre was brilliant. I was I was happy to see him in the car. Yeah, and you know he was born in Germany, but he lived much of his uh, life in Belgium, and uh, so that part of it was cool as well. Local boy does good. Yeah, local boy does good. Okay, moving on to the next level hierarchy of interest, in my opinion, um, the announcement to uh, just add fuel to the silly season fire. Um, Yoss the boss had a kid. Uh, similar to you, but even ahead of you by a little bit. And uh, that kid is Max Verstappen, who's going to be racing in Formula One next year at the age of 17, blowing the age records completely out of the water. Right. I mean, 19, there's like, they there were 19 year olds peppered into Formula One 
actually, you know, a while ago, well, 19 and 20, like that age was, we even saw that, I think, in the 50s and 60s. Very little, very rarely here and there. But he's going to be 17 when he makes his debut. debut. That's huge. Right. And then two days after that, he manages to uh, completely stuff a, a, a Red Bull car on an exhibition run. <laughs> and uh, Shocking. Yeah. And sort of, you know, because like a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, he's skipping over. He's not going through the whole series. He hasn't put in his dues. And there's all these guys that are doing really, really well through GP2 and Formula 3 and well, British series there, and Asian there series. There will be a GP2 champion, for right. example. Exactly. <laughs> um, but that's that's what's, I think, almost unique about Red Bull and STR is that they have, I think it's pretty well understood to be the best young driver development program and that Red Bull um, has what has been in previous years, not quite so much right now, but whatever, it's not that far, um, you know, one of the best cars on the grid. So they have a good top step to, to bring someone when they get there, but they also have good lower steps as well to say, okay, you can be in the STR team. We'll give you a chance. Uh, we'll, you know, you're not expected to, to really win. I mean, obviously you're, you want to do as best you can, but there's not unreasonable expectations. There's not unreasonable expectations about sponsorship and so on, uh, but it's a, it's a place to develop drivers within F1 and then move them up or not. Um, as the case is, some, you know, move them up like Ricardo or not with like a, all these other guys that are getting fired and so on. But, um, you know, even like McLaren has had the development program. Obviously, they brought Lewis Hamilton through karting and up through junior series yeah. and things like yeah. that. But when McLaren isn't one of the top teams, then how many young guys are going to want to sign up to say, oh, yeah, I could, you know, if you do the best you possibly can do, what you could end up with is a race seat at McLaren, which might be good for a podium, maybe, kind of, sometimes. Well, you know? come on. I mean... I mean, things Look, are going to come they're and go, historically sure. is, They're historically a strong team, and any kid that's not completely dense is going to be like, yeah, if this is an opportunity you're offering me, I will take it. Right. But I, I, to your point is valid, and the one thing I wanted to add is that the Red Bull team is definitely the most comprehensive. They really uh, they go through, and they have a lot of guys, and they have you know people looking at this closely and seriously. You know, They had, at one point, they pushed very strongly and successfully to get an American specifically in Formula One. So, you know, they certainly have the resources and the motivation to get it done. I mean, they put a man on the moon. No, wait, just in space. <laughs> and he jumped off, you know, yeah. And they've, But they've got, they what sponsor. Was he, 22 miles above the surface or whatever. Right. But, Meh. but even with Red Bull, you know, they sponsor so many other things and so many other series that obviously there's, uh, you know, motorcycles and motocross and rally cross and rally cars and sports cars and, you know, all kinds of different things. And, where, and, and energy drinks. Yeah, and NASCAR, stock car, all kinds of stuff. That, like, you know, as a, as a Red Bull driver, if you're in that system, it's not just F1 or nothing. Where McLaren, there's not as, you know, they, yeah, they have a GT program and so on. But, you know, like another thing, even, even Ferrari, of course, they've got a GT program. But um, there's, you know, there's just this the whole range of things, including, you know, top level, like, you know, top level NASCAR driver. That's a pretty serious career, um, you know, more so than, you know, a, like a FIA GT driver or something like that. You sure. know, it's a serious uh, yeah. stardom and sponsors and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, the Red Bull thing is amazing. And uh, so, yeah, Max Verstappen, really, really young. And of course, comparisons are being made to Kimi Raikkonen, who also skipped several steps in the ladder and came straight in. And, Kimi was older. Right. And uh, Kimi had a more illustrious uh, start, not that Max didn't have a strong start, but uh, Kimi was very quickly proved everyone wrong. Yeah, so Max, I mean, 
okay, the crash in the demonstration run is a bit of an embarrassment. Yeah, and, not the best start. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it can happen to anyone. Like, you know, our boy Maldonado has definitely uh, been to car Great or two on, example. A, on a demonstration now, that, run. That, that sages all my fears. Now I'm right. calm. Well, you know, <laughs> it could be like that. No, but um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. And that, um, you know, that's that's the that's next year, and that's another one of these things that's okay. That's what's going to be starting in 2015, and then you know we'll just see how it goes from there. And maybe he'll be amazing, or maybe he'll be terrible, and they'll swap him out. And they frankly, seem, who knows what decisions can be made in between now and then? That's very true. I mean, there's been lots of contracts and things that have all of a sudden needed to be changed, where it's like, oh, he's got a three-year contract. Oh wait, no, he doesn't. You know, amazing, amazing right. what money can do. It's and like, there's lots of money floating and around. And I'm just going to set this down on the shelf here. Oh, that's a paper shredder. Oops. Type yeah. Of. Um, the the thing though, I I just it's a little bit cheeky. I'll admit, I predicted not that long ago. I said I think um, uh, Vern is on his way out, and boy, I did not expect to be proven right this quickly. Right, because it's uh, you know Kafiat is staying. Daniel Kafiat has well, first of all, he's younger, and second of all, he's way more Russian. He's way more Russian. There's a turn named after him at the Sochi circuit. Yeah, it's the circuit turn anyway um but yeah Vern Vern's out and to know that not only to know that because he's too old but to know that so early that there's no chance now finish the rest of the season of course he's going to want to finish the season strongly to uh give himself the best chance of getting another ride somewhere else but this is tough you know he felt like he deserved the seat that Daniel Ricardo got at the grown-up team at the, you know, you know what I'm saying, at Red Bull Racing. Right. The grown-up team. Um, Shh, the grown-ups are, pl- are talking. And then and then a year later, it's like, actually, the door is over there. Right. Well, that's that's what, you know, Red Bull has the flexibility to do with STR that so few teams can do. I mean, the fact that they can take a gamble on a driver or several drivers, and, and then if they don't work out, just, all right, see ya. You know, like, there's no guarantees in this business for anyone, but especially for, the, for STR. Um, but then also they have the op- option to just take a gamble on somebody like Verstappen uh, and say, okay, what if we do this? What if this is amazing and his reflexes and his natural talent is right there? And then all of a sudden we have this guy who's setting records and he's getting a lot of interest and, uh, you know, ultimately just winning races and we move him up to Red Bull and that's maybe he's the guy to, you know, go alongside Ricardo and the future team when Vettel retires. Or who knows? I mean, it's all way in the future. But the fact that they have that flexibility and uh, if he doesn't come out and win right away, it's not like the team's going to run out of money and, you know, fold up and die. It's like, well, it's part of this larger empire, and it's got it's got good backing and so on. And uh, you know, they keep selling Red Bulls, and people keep buying them. So they do. Uh, there's like plenty, apparently plenty of money to uh, to play around with, and uh, and so it's kind of cool as um, sort of an experiment. And it's uh, it's, it's a nice uh, symmetry in that um, is it not STR that was formerly Minardi? I mean, that was the uh, that's, that's exactly where the right. team has its roots anyway. It's obviously changed since then, but um, and that's kind of the, the the place minority served as well i mean they were never front runners but a lot of people that came up through the ranks had a stop at minority you know had a test drive Fernando there Alonso, mark weber mark was weber, you know yeah yeah there's like um you know it's it's like you know i remember when i was first starting to watch <clears throat> f1 you know with, with you know, like when we were roommates and all that and it was like minority was always last and they were always like a pretty big gap to last and i'm thinking like why are these why is this team even there and your explanation to me was like well this they they 
they fill a certain part of the of the grid, and that stepping stone, that rung of the ladder, um, is meaningful, and there are there is support for that, and there's money to be made, and obviously not a whole lot. They ended up you know getting sold out and so on, but um, that there's there's a place in the whole F1 ecosystem for that kind of a team, and uh, you know we've got of course got some different backmarkers now. STR is sort of somewhere in between, but well, having a junior team makes sense. It's funny that you mentioned that they're actually trailing sort of towards the back. In some cases, not really. They're not doing as bad as, say, Sauber is, but they are. They're not as strong as they've ever been. But um, going back to Vern for the moment, uh, you know, he qualified. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm actually. I was going to use this as a jumping-off point. He was slower than uh, Daniel Kvyat, um in qualifying, but that's really. I'm ready to move on. Okay, I want to talk about Alexander Rossi. Yes. Speaking of Americans, that's what F1. I want to move on to. Good, because we're in agreement then. So <laughs> I was very excited. Uh, it was, Hugely. It was Thursday, I think, this was announced, you know, of course, before the race weekend. Um, and saying, all right, man, we're going to have Alexander Rossi, test driver, um, is going to uh, is going to sit in for the race. And um, there wasn't, I don't think, any word of, is, is this for the rest of the season or is this for now? But basically it was announced, like, for Spa, no guarantees on anything else. He's, we're going to have Alexander Rossi in the car instead yes. of Max Chilton. Um, and uh, in the uh, in the Marusha, um, where he was a Caterham driver before, Rossi was on Caterham payroll, and I think kind of jumped ship um, recently um, over to uh, you know to to make well, the change. Quite funny, what happened? He lost his job at uh, Caterham, and uh, nine days later, Marusha said, "Hey, we've got a spot for you." So that's how that went down. So didn't that work out well? And then. Um, and so it was on the Thursday press conferences. It was all very exciting. Hey, first American in F1 since Scott Speed, the Red Bull guy we were talking That's about before. Right. And, um, which and actually, was in 2007. Right. And in the Marusha as well, which has been the best of those kind of backmarker teams. They're the only one best uh, with, this year, at least. with points. I mean, Caterham has been way, way off. And then Salver just keeps seeming to screw something or other up. You know, something just hasn't clicked for them. So in terms of one of those sort of the back few, Marusha is, is one of the more interesting ones to look at. Took place in Friday practice. And I think during Friday, F, you know, free practice one or might have been free practice no, two. No, it was free practice one. Um, Marusha has a press conference and everything while Rossi is out in the car saying, oh, actually, Max Chilton is going to drive this weekend. And uh, this was fun having Rossi, but uh, it's going to be back to business as usual. Yeah. And and then so Alexander didn't find out till he got out of the car. And he's like, hey, guys, everything great? We all did well? Yeah, this is going to be great. And they're like, oh, by the way, everybody knows and everyone has known for like an hour. You know, it's all around the, inter- all around the Internet already that – you're actually not going to be driving for the race, so thanks, see you, bye, and get Chilton back in the car. So the behind-the-scenes seems to be that this was all not really a bluff, I mean, because it happened, but all uh, sort of a negotiation between uh, Max Chilton and some of his sponsors and Marusha about um, either, you know, some money coming through or some, some deal on, you know, on what's going on. So I think it was the team showing uh, Chilton that, hey, we don't mind. We have other drivers on our payroll mm-hmm. We can we can race without you, dude. And then all of a sudden, you know, the reality of that going for a day and a half and even a practice session, somehow, whatever, you know, we don't know what happened in the back rooms. I don't think I haven't seen any super deep dives. I mean, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, guesses at what happened, but we don't really know the, the details of what happened. But somehow now Max Chilton and his guys and the money and so on have all come back around. And uh, the sort of downside is that we didn't get our American driver in F1 uh, this time around. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's, of course, good to see that Alexander Rossi is, uh, respected as such and has a job at a reasonable team that will give him a chance. So hopefully, uh, you know, in the near future, we can see him pop up somewhere, maybe for a race weekend, maybe, you know, for a 2015 drive, who knows. But uh, 
at least it's it's cool that he's that close, and uh, we just hope he gets it one step closer and actually takes part in a race weekend because that's cooler. And then right, well, or there. even I mean, one step closer if you want to be nitpicky would be free practice too. Um, it's it's interesting because I have a weird connection with uh, Alexander Rossi. A couple, in fact. Um, uh, Alexander Rossi at one point raced in the Formula Dodge National Championship, as did I. He did a little bit better than I did, I'll mm-hmm. admit. Um, and also, I have um, crunched uh, Alexander Rossi's data. He did a... Is that a euphemism for something? Yes. Uh, it is. I crunched the sure data. Anyway, uh, he did a story for Road and Track Magazine, my employer, um, at Circuit of the Americas, and it was comparing a uh, Lotus 49 against a Corvette ZR1. It was a cool story um, that uh, I was really proud of. And uh, I was not there, sadly, but I was the one that uh, crunched the data of his time in the ZR1 and his time in the Lotus 49. So I personally have uh, – I've seen all your data, Alex. Uh, remember that. And he's pretty good, and I have to say. He's quite good at his data. And he's a road and track favorite and when the news came that he was going to get the race seat work stopped in the office someone yeah. yelled it out and then that just became the topic of conversation and then i was actually one that said oh um you know when it happened next day i was like yeah that's just been canceled actually yeah and that would that became a big debate and it was actually fascinating to me uh that there was a lot of conversation. Some people in the office were like, well, it's because he's too tall. And he is. He's like 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, he's, he's somewhere up there. But I was like, no, no, no. That's not it. Look, there's other tall drivers in there, and they made it work. Adrian Sutil, that's tall That man. is a tall guy. Um, uh, Mark Weber. Robert Kubica. Robert Kubica. Yeah, I'm like, no, that's not – no, that's not convenient. But that is definitely something Formula 1 teams can work around. That wasn't it. I think, Jim, what you were saying earlier about uh, contracts going down uh, and I think – my guess is that Max Chilton tried to play, try to play his hand a little bit, try to be, put you know, call a bluff, uh, try to bluff the uh, Marusha guys a little bit, and Marusha guys called it and said, yeah, okay. And uh, the other thing I want to say is that, uh, you know, Alexander Rossi, when he was interviewed by, um, by, um, by the television, he was. Very professional about it. You know, it was just happened either, I think it was the day of. I was watching Friday Free Practice 2, mm-hmm. and microphone was in his face. And he said, look, it's a good team. I appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the fact that they thought of me for this in the first place. And, you know, of course, yes, I would have loved to race, but I'm just happy to be here and happy to take part and blah, blah. Very impressed with how well he, how well he conducted himself because there was – a lot of I would have forgiven him for having a couple of snappy things to say. Yeah. And I have one more thing I want to say. Max Chilton was in the car. His best qualifying time, which put him 19th, was a 2-minute 12.566 second run. His teammate in a very, very, very similar car, Jules Bianchi, during Q3, ran a 2.11 dead. So it was Q3, you must mean Q1. Q1, sorry, sorry. Q1. 2.11 dead. One and a half seconds apart from each other. Jules Bianchi, of course, went on to Q2, and uh, that was that. But I just, you know, 
That's huge. Chil- <laughs> yeah, Chilton has not been a standout driver. No, and well, especially, he has in some ways. Well, yeah. Um, but, you know, especially at that part of the grid, you know, like, like you know, in this case, you know, the time difference was enough uh, to move on to a whole other qualifying session. Of course, then, you know, the Marussia, especially as the track was drying out, and that car is just not up to the pace of the other runners, you know, the other mid-pack guys. But it wasn't, but, you know, the fact that it was enough to get him through one session and into another, and Chilton's time was just, that's where you line up, you know, there's nothing, you know, you're done. <laughs> right. That's a pretty big difference. And, you know, especially with, with a place like Spa and changing weather and stuff, it is not that inconceivable that crazy things happen or other guys have problems or car issues or crashes or whatever. And, uh, you know, getting getting one qualifying session farther along uh, can be a really big deal and uh, do a long way towards, obviously, good results. So, um, yeah, I, I hope that um, hope we see, uh, you know, Alexander turn up somewhere uh, Marusha or uh, somewhere higher up the grid. I mean, you know, to the fact that Absolutely. he's, like you say, if, you know, conducted himself really well, showed good pace uh, when he was out there, and, you know, we I don't know how he is on engineering feedback and all the rest of it, but, it, you know, just um, it's hopefully he's right there and, uh, and you know, it's, he's just doing the right things and uh, is hopefully gonna getting close to uh, a drive. And I'm here to tell uh, all sponsors and potential sponsors of Formula One that if you have a tall driver, there's more room on the racing suit for your logo. So go after him. Um, there was one other point I wanted to make. Oh, yeah. Uh, another, another thing, when you're down towards the bottom of the grid, um, you don't have wins and poles and points to look to like, oh, I'm this rookie driver that scored this many points and blah, blah, blah. What do you have more than anything else to get people's attention? How you did in relation to your teammate. Right. And... What Max has done in relationship to his teammate is quite striking. Now, Bianchi has the attention of Ferrari and has done very well for himself. Bianchi is a really strong driver. Right. So, okay, but still... And you know, Bianchi has the, on, moments, yeah, right? the only two points that the Marussia team has ever earned have been from Bianchi. Since its existence. And that's yeah. huge for a small team like that. So anyway, that's certainly good for Bianchi. And uh, you know, hopefully uh, things can move forward with Alexander Rossi as well. So there was a race that happened. <laughs> yes, not just practice and qualifying and a failure for Lotterer. I The thing that I noticed first and foremost was how... Um, well, Lewis Hamilton did in qualifying compared to recent past. <laughs> yeah, his car was not on fire yes. at any point in lap one. Brakes did not lock up. No, nope, brakes didn't fail. He did, was not in a wall. He actually made it through all three qualifying sessions. He did. That was uh, that was remarkable. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, I guess sad uh, that that's the deal. Uh, but um, it was ultimately Rosberg uh, who had pole position though, um, and. You know, after after all was said and done. And this is the first time that I can think of, maybe since Germany, but maybe no at all. In a maybe this season, that Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton had a straight up speed fight, and Nico Rosberg came out on top. Every time that Rosberg got on pole in the past that I can think of. Lewis had some kind of problem or some kind of failure one way or the other. Or even if it was, yeah, they got the timing wrong or something was weird, right. you know, yeah, right. but it wasn't just outright his pace and, and, you know, both of their pace and so on. But this time, this time, uh, they both set an early Q3 time. Rosberg's was faster. Um, Lewis went out for a second time. He was not keeping pace with his, with himself. He was slower than he went the first time out and Rosberg went even faster and made the gap larger. So I, I, 
forget exactly what happened in the race. So they started one two. They probably finished one two, right? Is that... Oh yeah, no, no, that's how. They, I mean, oh, there's, okay. there's nothing. No, that's why we were talking about all this other stuff. Yeah, because the race was boring. Oh right. So. Oh no, wait, that's not entirely true. Because um, remember, uh, Raikkonen did finish fourth. Yeah, that was interesting. And Botas was on the podium again. That's kind Botas, of a big deal yeah, for him. Man, yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, and there was something about a uh, racing incident. Yeah, like they were saying, I think just generally that racing incidents are bad. Yeah. No. Okay. Wow. I mean, here's what's funny about it. It's really a nothing thing except for all the context around it, which makes it huge. And I feel like there's been way too much emphasis put on the little differences there's been between Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg and blah, blah, blah. Until now. Until Lewis and, and Nico said, hey, all this uh, fervor and nonsense they're talking about us. Yeah, let's make that real. Yeah. So there's the actual movement. So this is interesting because cause you and I watched the race separately. Yes. Because of schedules and baby and whatnot. Um, so um, I, saw, I saw this happen, and uh, my, first, my first thought was this might be the slightest bit Rosberg's fault, but more racing incident uh, than, you know, Nico uh, deliberately being awkward or proving a point or anything like that. But apparently uh, lots of other people saw it very differently than I did because there were, as you saw, you know, booze on the podium and all yes. kinds of things. I mean, people that – and as we know, being at the track – watching the cars go by is one of the hardest places to really get a good sense for all the details of things that are going on that aren't happening right in front of you. And I feel like if this did happen right in front of you, you could probably get a pretty good angle on what was going on. But um, this was, you know, I so saw the fact that there were people, you know, by start finish that had a clear enough picture of what had happened. And I guess, I don't know, when you are at a race, there's kind of this like scuttlebutt, you know, this like word that travels quickly around, oh yeah, did you hear this happened and whatever. And yes. people, you know, whether it's true or not, or whether it's probably somebody's opinion or whatever. So, you know, it seems like someone made a judgment. Oh yeah, Rosberg totally crashed into Lewis, man. It was terrible, and then that just maybe spread around the, the spread around the uh, the whole track or whatever. But um, I was amazed that there was that much of a response by the crowd that had all sided, not really necessarily sided with Lewis, but against Rosberg. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I would say more sided with Lewis is a better way to say it, actually. Because well, Lewis is usually the one who's sort of uh, you know frustrated or you know kind of grumpy on the podium even if he does well and those emotional. kind of things but emotional yeah for the generally for the for the worse um well and i, I say this as a fan of, of hamilton as well but you well know. i mean let me use a different word even still then uh passionate and uh i i'm here's what's funny about this we actually talked about this at work too i agree with you objectively it's a racing incident I put 5% more blame on Rosberg than on Hamilton, but we're talking about 45-55 here. Sure. Objectively speaking, it's a racing incident. However, um, I completely – I it's a racing incident that I think Rosberg made the mistake. I think that this was Rosberg's – poor judgment that ultimately caused this and I put more guilt on Rosberg than I do Hamilton and again this isn't this isn't in the objective sense it's in the grander scheme of things sense Hamilton was in the lead of the race and Rosberg was pushing to get around Hamilton early on and Hamilton was defending slightly more aggressively than you might want to see defense. But 
Rosberg was. But to be fair, that's kind of his thing. It's kind of his thing. <laughs> Rosberg was pushing a little bit more than just a tad more to get the pass done. And when you start looking at the greater scheme of things, your biggest rivalry is your teammate. But you're also you're also teammates, so you have to have that extra level of certainty in the passes you make. And that means when you're going for a pass, be very confident that you're going to complete it, especially when it comes to teammates. I feel like there's an extra... There's an extra layer of incentive to like you don't want to make an ultimate mistake here. Right. So that's step one number one. Step two, in addition to that, these guys are friends, but much more importantly, they are one and two in the championship. So in the dominant cars and in the dominant yeah. cars, right. So there's a lot of extra pressure going there. So you really, really want to make sure that you're making good, competent moves. And in addition to that, and I think the most critical element to this Rosberg at that time had a reasonable lead in the championship, mm-hmm. and if he ended up finishing second and Lewis Hamilton first, he still would have been in the lead of the championship. It would have been just fine. And so the risks he was taking and everything that led up to that going on were high enough that I feel like that should have entered his conscious a little more than it did. So it's absolutely a racing incident. I would have been bothered with a penalty given to Rosberg for you know causing a collision or something like that completely. But I think it was poor decision-making by Rosberg and showed how, I guess you could say, uh, how desperate he is to really get this thing done. And I'm not trying to defend the people booing, but I am saying that that might be a little bit more of the reason to it. I was, I was unsettled by all those things. Right. Well, the show it, it meant, it was, yeah, I guess, yeah, the uh, the little crash heard around the world, and I'm presumably <laughs> anyone who's listened this far into the show and follows F1 enough to be this far into the show um, knows, of course, that Lewis Hamilton's tire got cut down, which meant he had to go way, way slow to get back around to the pits, ended up hitting, and but the, you know, the tire did flail around, caused some damage on the car. Lewis ended up retiring later on, um, and which was able to save his engine and whatnot, and, and whatever. Uh, Rosberg went on to finish second in the race um, and, you know, collect some points and, you know, ex- extend his lead, lead yeah. in the championship. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then was very much booed on the podium and so on. But, so it showed a couple of things. I mean, one, it showed... A, you say desperate, but I feel like even, um, you know, like a, a sort of not evil determination, but almost a, a more, <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, ruthless is the word. I don't want to the word Satan, but. Well, no, ruthless, <laughs> I think is the word. You no, know, ruthless so, is a good word. So keep in mind, you know, this is Rosberg who was, you know, teammate with Michael Schumacher, one of the sort of, you know, if you look up ruthless in the Formula One dictionary. When was he teammates with Michael Schumacher? Or Mercedes uh, Oh, God. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a lot of density on my part. Yes, of course. Right on. You, I, all of a sudden I was like, wait, he was, right? But anyway, yeah. So, you know, and so there may be a little bit of like, well, hold on, Schumacher, he got it done. How did, you know, the, some kind of like mind games, because, you know, in the past, um, uh, you know, obviously Rosberg has had good speed in various occasions. He's been able, like you say, take advantage of when Lewis has problems There's and be a very good driver. Including the day before in qualifying, where they went toe-to-toe and Rosberg came on right. top. So, but we'd never seen Rosberg sort of have this kind of 
this kind of play before of like, well, actually, if, if both of them were to crash out, Rosberg would still stay up ahead. So it was sort of, you know, in his interest to do that, sort of this ruthless side that, of course, you know, Senna was famous for and whatnot. So there's, there's that kind of angle, which we'd never seen before. So in a way, it was a little bit like, oh, this isn't what we expect from this guy. Hold on. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, but also, um, uh, you know, one of the benefits of having of not doing the show right after the race, you know, having had the, this has been out and there's been all the, all the news articles and uh, press releases and video interviews and all kinds of crazy stuff that's happened is that, of course, now uh, we have Rosberg, um, you know, after all that's been said and done, saying this is he says, this is my this is my fault. Um, I mean, he said in, in Rosberg's words, um, it has always been clear from the team that Lewis and I must not collide with one another. Uh, during a race, if it did happen and one driver is more responsible than the other, then there will be consequences. I've accepted that. Um, he said he'd been warned previously and says he, you know, um, he says it was my error. I hope F1 fans will accept my apology. So it is, regardless of what it looks like to one observer or to another, you know, time has passed and everyone's looked at it and the team, they've had their sit down meeting and all this to determine, yeah. um, dude, Rosberg, that is not cool because. Whatever happened, uh, as you say, with all the reasons, you know, they were they were one two in the championship, they were one two in qualifying, they were one two in the race. There's no reason they shouldn't have been able to continue, to turn that into a, a one two finish for the race. And the fact that yes, they have an internal quarrel, but the the decision making on how hard to push and how hard to defend at that moment uh, was an error of judgment, as they said. Um, but you said another thing about the the penalties, which I thought was interesting, is that um, you would have been against a um, uh, a penalty for Rosberg. And what I thought was interesting is that there was not even an FIA investigation yeah. uh, into this. No stewards, you know, usually you get that message, oh, you know, incident in call involving these cars will be investigated after the race or whatever, one of those kind of things, just to say, hey, guys, let's let's look at this data and just make sure, because there was a crash that seemed kind of avoidable. Let's see... Um, you know, was everything above board here? Was there was there someone actually, you know, you know, making uh, make, you know a judgment call saying, oh, I can afford to do this in the championship, therefore I'm going to do something that results in somebody else crashing? You know, I don't. We don't think it was that deliberate of, um, uh, you know, because it's not like every time a, a wing touches a tire that the tire gets cut down. We saw other times in this very race that there was contact and that you know it wasn't, uh, you know, didn't cause a tire failure. So it's not like Rosberg would have known exactly what the consequences were for Lewis, but uh, it, you know it could have been done safer. And I've seen uh, articles written to the effect that um, the fact that there wasn't even an investigation, I mean, Mercedes had their own internal investigation, of course, but, yeah. um, but that there was no FIA investigation uh, seems like they, that even that organization is kind of losing a bit of their you know, not clout because they still run the series, but a bit of their credibility for um, are they investigating things that, that are, you know, should be problems? And it, it's very sensible, you know, and we see this pretty regularly. There's an investigation. Maybe they call the, the, the drivers into a meeting. They look at the data. They see what was going on, what the, what the circumstances were. And then they decide, okay, no further action. Like, we checked into it, and everything's fine. True enough. And I feel like that may have been more sensible than to just not even investigate it at all and just say, oh, yeah, no, that's whatever happened. That must have been fine because these are the kind of things, especially as we get farther down the season and who knows. I mean, Abu Dhabi, as we've talked about all year, double points on offer. You could get some desperate people trying some crazy things and whatever. And if you don't send the message that, um, hey, if you, you know, risk too much, put, you know, uh, just, you know, aim too high in terms of some crazy move and it ends up in a crash, if there's no consequences for that from the FIA, just a slap on the wrist from your team, then uh, that may be setting kind of the wrong precedent. So that was one opinion that I thought was interesting is, uh, is just kind of how there was not any action at all about that. Uh, and usually you'd think at a, at a situation like that, uh, you would see that where it's like, yeah, maybe it's a racing incident. Maybe it's one guy's fault, but hey, let's look into it a little bit and get all the facts and then decide maybe we want to act on it, maybe not. 
Yeah, yeah, and I, I, that's that's a fascinating uh, point. I didn't think about it that way, but I, to me, it was kind of like, well, it, it it was a racing incident. You know what I mean? And that was one of the more classic ones where, uh, you know, both cars because Hamilton had a cut tire, that's why he had brim. But you know, they didn't they didn't have any kind of serious side pod to side pod. You know, it was like. One front wing clipped one tire. Yeah, it was a very little nip of a of a of a touch, and it happened in a completely predictable way in a completely predictable spot given the circumstances. So I had kind of a more surface level kind of thing. It's like, well, okay, yeah, it wasn't a race. It wasn't an avoidable contact. It was just a minor racing incident that just unluckily cut a tire. And um, you know, that's me being me being a little optimistic perhaps but uh that's what i said but that's what's so fascinating about it. it's it's because there's so much riding on those two right now and because uh, there's so much attention and hunger for drama i mean these two are the drama of formula one right now that this was such it was such a feast of uh nonsense that different people could throw at it and People could get angry on one side or the other, and that that part, in a lot of ways, is the biggest disappointment of all. It's like I felt like this was so overblown for so long. It's like don't don't give people credibility. Yeah, now this with is this. more ammunition for them. But exactly, yeah. So it's I mean it's it's funny. Um, I don't know. I mean I, I think uh, at some point uh, you know this is like we say this has been out in the media for a long time and you know we're looking forward to Monza in just a few days time as they're going to start with practice and quality and everything for Monza well so, unless Jim has another baby yeah well I'm not trying to do that in, uh, for the for the for the moment so I think I'm good with the one for right now she's so cute though dude it's, anyway um, <laughs> but I just I'm just waiting for you know four days around dude I'm not going to make the show dude it's crazy man <laughs> um, so I'm curious um what uh what our fans have to say if anyone if anyone out there thinks i don't know hamilton did the wrong thing and, or you know if anyone disagrees with what's going on I, I thought actually eddie jordan's comments on the podium i thought were remarkably good when everyone was booing him you yeah. know you as, yes. as a as that a, is true as a public you know as someone up on a stage you know public speaking and so on it's really tough because it's like do you engage with these people or do you kind of ignore the fact that they're booing and just try to power through it eddie or did not ignore you, right but <laughs> It, and, you know, I'm sort of you sort of cringe sometimes. You see Eddie Jordan with a microphone in front of a crowd of people, of like something weird's going to happen. But I thought what he said was right to the point. He's like, he's like, you know, without being you know too derogatory or whatever. But he's like, come on, guys, like all these guys up here drove their hearts out. Especially like you know, spare a thought for Ricardo, who freaking won this race. You know, like good for him. Yeah, and um, we got to talk about that just right. a little bit. Because, but it's wow. like it's like let's not ruin this moment. Yeah, you may disagree with this or that or whatever, but it's like let's. You know, there'll be plenty of time, which is what we've had in the following weeks and since then, is like to analyze this in the media, and everyone can can share what they think about what's going on. And uh, obviously, Rosberg has had his own, you know, internal meetings and so on. Like, you know, but but just like you know, these all these guys drove their hearts out. Maybe you don't agree with exactly what happened, but like, come on, guys, like let's be let's be civil about this here. We did see a really exciting motor race, and we did. And yes, and <laughs> better than Bahrain. I'm going to go ahead and say that. <laughs> Okay, so everyone that said that, they were proven wrong. So, But Jim's absolutely right. We definitely want to hear your opinions about what you guys feel about the sound of Formula 1 in 2014. We, we really want to know what you guys think. Right, so uh, as always, please do visit the Facebook page. Uh, you can email feedback at 
uh, funwithcars.com. And uh, we will, of course, have some feedback in the next section of the show. But uh, if there's anything, anything about anyone who hasn't shared their opinion yet about this or about whatever else, maybe, you know, about the uh, STR drivers, do you think it's the right deal getting uh, Max Verstappen at this point? Or is there a better choice out there? Should they have hired an American? Yeah. Whatever. Like, is there someone that can legally drink? Out there, for for example, uh, it's it's an interesting thing if Max Verstappen ever gets on the podium, what what he's handed, um, it's like oh oh you're a little young. Although you, you know, get, if you it's get, Europe, it's by, may not be a big deal. You can get rose water. I mean, but I, I mean, think even in Europe, I think a lot of drinking ages are eighteen. Yeah, right. So still, got to be careful. But anyway, uh, real real quick, uh, huge shout out to Daniel Ricardo. Just. This is his third win of his career, yes, but also of the season. And he's got two in a row now, and that's spa. I mean, this is this is an epic place to have a win. Right, and, you know, contrasted with Vettel, who uh, I've said, I keep thinking today, um, but, you know, <laughs> at spa, you know, that week and a half ago or whatever, um, you know, ended up, um, where am I? Uh, he I'm, I'm finished like, fifth. I have it as third, but I'm looking at qualifying. Yes, he finished fifth. Right, so... Yet another time, not only did Ricardo out outperform Vettel, but freaking winning a race, man. You can't get any better than that. And and had to earn it, too. I mean, he had to work for it at the end of the race with uh, Rosberg. You know, oh, he, dude, that was a brilliant section. It was 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th with Magnussen in the lead for a while, Alonso, was it, Vettel, and one other guy. I, was it Button? I think it was Button. No. It was some other well, guy. Well, because Botas was in the mix. It was, but no. He was farther up. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it had to be. It was Button. It was, uh, oh, oh, no. I am. Zvetel, <laughs> Button, Fernando, and Perez, Sergio Perez. That's who it was. It was four car battle for fifth. It was very exciting. Right. So, you know, having that, but then even, you know, when uh, Rosberg, uh, you know, pitting and then getting onto the nice soft tires and then trying to make up as much time as possible, all these things, like, you know, it just. Ricardo was just able to manage what, he, what was handed to him perfectly, and uh, it was it was, you know, Anyway, well executed and put it in the right spot. And like you say, you know, if, if at the beginning of this year, after a first few races, seeing the complete dominance of Mercedes and especially at that point, the really, really poor performance of the Red Bull, if he said, okay, later this year, there's going to be three Red Bull victories, it's like, okay, Vettel probably got himself. Like, no, none no. from Vettel, just from Ricardo. That's really a, quite an achievement. So, And here's what makes me laugh. I mean, honestly, there's people talking, it's like, could Daniel Ricciardo be a last-minute upset for the championship? It's like, wait, hold on. How is it that Lewis Hamilton has no chance of winning the championship now because it's 29 points away? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But uh, Daniel Ricciardo, who is 64 points behind, he has a chance. It's like, okay, guys, think because about this a just headline a little bit. Because headlines get people to click on freaking stuff. Freaking headlines. You know how this works. Uh, just freaking media. Yeah, man. Stupid podcasts. Stupid wait, wait a minute. podcasts and websites so, and magazines yeah i mean as you say yeah i mean obviously ricardo is uh in a pretty comfortable third spot in the championship and you know nothing's uh mathematically impossible at this point still in the season nothing is clinched yet but uh obviously it is very very much more likely that uh you know the mercedes guys will continue to do well and uh and and probably it'll be one of them as champion but yeah you know who knows it's it's an, it's an interesting thought and what's interesting is uh, so again, Vettel, the uh, much uh, esteemed four-time champion, is in sixth place in the championship, yes. behind Botas, behind Fernando Alonso, Ricardo, and of course the Mercedes guys, uh, with 98 points compared to 190. Oh, sorry, 156 for Daniel Ricardo. I mean, that is a pretty big delta. And as we talked about with a lot of these guys and the teammates, it's one thing to have some good pace or show some good, you know, good speed every once in a while, or you know, every once in a while have a good result here or there. But points, man. 
points are what really counts at the end of the whole thing. Uh, and Ricardo has a lot more than Vettel and three wins, and he's just doing awesome. So good job. That What you just said about points, that's a good point. Ha! Hey, quick aside. Um, we usually do this later in the show, but I want to do it now. Um, one thing has been clenched, and it has been clenched with points, and that is a proper shout-out to Will Power for winning the IndyCar Championship um, just a few days ago at um, Fontana. He finally at the Auto made Club it Speedway. work. There was all this talk before the race of, like, what's going to go wrong with Power this year that's going to lose him the championship in the last race? But in this case, nothing, and he actually made it made it work. Actually, I didn't watch the race to know if nothing went wrong. But either way, well, he was able know, to, to little you know, minor win the championship. Right. He won the championship, and he did so at an oval. And, like Formula 1, the last race of the season was worth double points. Through sheer willpower. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, oh, mm. But mm. Uh, it, it's, it's ironic because willpower did have a problem, and it was kind of indirectly with power because they were, they were um, uh, well, no, I'm, I'm one race ahead. The race beforehand, I'm sorry, I'm behind. I'm a week behind. But at Hello. Sonoma, what? And at Sonoma a week prior, yeah. um, they had a, there was an earthquake right in, you know, the epicenter was like 10 miles from... Uh, the racetrack, and that woke up a lot of guys early. So he had been up, but not all of them. The Penske drivers fared the worst. So he had been up the day of that race, which was the penultimate one. He was up at like 3 in the morning and ended up doing poorly. So he had a chance to really uh, improve his advantage and make it very unlikely that anyone to win to a point where uh, his teammate and uh, close closest rival, um, here we are again, um, Castro Neves, was definitely within reach of winning this of winning the championship on the last race, and he would have been second in the championship yet again. Yeah. But uh, Will, so, Will Power uh, persevered. So what you're saying is double points at the finale is really pretty much a good thing? No. Oh. Yes. <laughs> but no. Okay. Um, anyway, yes. That's I'm, that's tangent over. There you have it. Um, man, I mean, it's it's there's I guess there's more we could say about the race. I feel like we've... Oh, uh, my God. I mean, there's another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's do it. Um, right, I think uh, I, I'm actually I haven't looked that much at the mailbag and so on. I'm curious what our fans have said in the like whatever ten days since uh, since this race actually happened. So shall we take a look at that? Do you have anything else to close out the uh, the first section here? Stonking, good idea, sir. Our mailbag overfloweth with uh, it's almost been a month since our previous show and there's a winter, you know winter break uh, summer break and uh, and and you know obviously the delayed show on this one and so on but uh, I do want to thank Derek Krulla, uh for sending us a very interesting bit about um, you know Spa not only being a really good racetrack but also uh, some of the you know, some of the craziness uh, of World War II and all the stuff that happened basically at Turn 15 Stavelo at Spa in uh, December 1944. So it's quite a, the story, the whole story, and uh, not I'm not going to go into the whole deal here but I do appreciate uh, these little context and bits of info that uh, we don't normally come across from uh, from outside the racing world and uh, how that how that fits in because uh, it's you know obviously we have you know civil war stuff and all craziness here in uh, in the U.S. but uh, it's a whole different uh, theater of events that have happened uh, in the rest of the world. Yeah, I'm, we're we're kind of filtered from that, uh, aren't we? I mean, we have uh, Pearl Harbor, which you know is on United United States soil, but also uh, farther away from us than Europe is. So. 
That is true. Um, we got an email from Mark Williams, um, who just had to write about yesterday's racing incident at Spa, and he puts racing incident in, in quotes, so I'm thinking he doesn't think that's really what it is. Well, what did he say? Um, so Lewis has always been fair, if hard, in his racing. Proof that it is proof of that is his frequent duels with Jensen at McLaren. Despite both battling for supremacy, at no point did it get personal or put a team result at risk. Space was given, and neither driver put themselves in a position that meant an accident could happen. Perfect teammates. Nico, on the other hand, does not seem to understand that if you want the team to force team orders, you have to demonstrate clear superiority over your teammate. I totally agree with that. Um, asking for Lewis to allow him to pass at the last race when not actually being close enough was pathetic, but saying yesterday that he had significant part of his car alongside Lewis was worse. Hitting the rear tire with your front wing end plate is not a significant part in my book. Plus, he could have moved slightly over left, left over the curb to give Lewis the racing line. This petty behavior by Nico will only harm people's views of him, and I'm talking as a fan of Nico, not as some disappointed Brit. This battle will run to the last race. Just hope Lewis gets some luck and not just bad luck. Cheers, Mark Williams. And I think that actually says it pretty well. I think that summarizes what you and I were discussing. You know, it's... Yeah. It's... It's a... It's a racing incident, but... The implications, the bigger, larger implications, that's on you, Nico. And, you know, Nico himself has said, yeah, okay, this is on me. And I think an interesting part that we didn't mention earlier that adds to the whole booing phenomenon we saw when he was on the podium was some of the, uh, what you can say, more petty behaviors when uh, Nico was asking the team to tell Lewis to get get out of his way in Hungary when it's like, Dude, you're not even that close behind. Like you and I would have to slow that. down. Yeah, yeah exactly. Didn't seem right. Yeah. Um, we had uh, all kinds of activity on the Facebook page. I have not uh, taken that much part in it because, you know, I've been busy and whatnot. Dude, um, I, mean, I have you other, were a big source of the activity. Other responsibilities uh, with, uh, with everything. But um, interesting stuff for, uh, since the previous race. It must be said. I'm sorry. It's, just, it's, it's not like it's time for intervention. But a lot of your activities were quite childish. Well, you know. The average, Come on. average age in my house is way down these that, days. That was a pretty good one. There you go. Come on, I give that a B plus. All right, that makes one of us. Um, oh. Neil Popham uh, posted about uh, about Al Rouge. Um, interesting to hear. Lewis normally sets himself the challenge of doing Al Rouge flat out on his first P1 lap, but will not attempt it this year. Sounds like no one could be doing Al Rouge flat out this year, which sounds like a good thing to me. I'd rather see the drivers struggling. And there's actually been quite a bit of back and forth on this because some people are saying, "Oh, if it's not flat, you know, that's 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 sort of part of the magic of Al Rouge and whatever." But I I agree with uh, with Neil and James well, Payne I agrees as well as it should be. Very much agree with Neil. Um, and that. The fact that the F1 cars are harder to handle is a good thing. That means that if it's if it's too easy for everyone, if everyone's got all kinds of downforce and whatever, and it's only when somebody makes a mistake, that's not as fun. But it's really that driving talent. Um, it's it's kind of like the having um, ABS and traction control and launch control and all that. If it you know the more things that take it out of the driver's hands, yes, technology is interesting. But you know, one driver being just better than another at, at uh, some part of it is what we want to see with these top level drivers. So um, I think it's cool that it's panned out that way. And thank you for. Uh, for, for sharing all that. Um, we did get... Uh... Real quick, though. I, I actually want to talk about that just a tiny bit more. Okay. Um, I, I think Daniel Poppin's right. And the reason why that it's a lot harder for them to go flat, yeah, they had a big reduction in downforce, um, but we also have much torquier cars. That's what we want. We right. want That's the power best... to be managed. That's we the don't... best combination. Yeah. And, and, and we want the driver's to have superior skill that gets more power down earlier and um, have more risk down with just putting your foot flat to the floor every time. The fact that it's gotten to the point that Rouge is not flat again, to me, is hands down win. Right. Sorry. Good, good times. 
Uh, Cliff Cattell posted his taste of the race, which was some uh, tasty-looking waffles and beer, which what could be more Belgian than that and looks delicious, and I'm actually pretty hungry right now, so that looks amazing. Um, so <laughs> thank you for sharing that, as always. Um, we can't go through all the stuff because we had lots of, lots of activity, but, uh, you know, very much interesting when people are posting articles and there's been some good little discussion threads on the Facebook page. So we always appreciate people taking part in that. Uh, quick shout out to uh, James Payne, who's super excited about Dan Ricardo as an Aussie. That would make sense. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Bernard A. as always taking part and Craig the Kilt. And, uh, and, you know, and it's, it's been interesting as these different stories come out. Um, first people commenting, like Mark Williams' email from a moment ago, just about seeing the incident himself. But now there's a commentary about okay, Rossberg's apology, and here's this video that he posted, and here's, here's right. what this guy says, and here's what that guy says. So it's kind of interesting to watch that evolve. Uh, normally we don't get that when we podcast right after the race. But um, anyway, good times. Um, and thanks again. Uh, yeah, Phil Shaw, Sean Scanlon's uh, posting on there, and, and many others taking part in that. And I think there was some live tweeting as well, but that was a long time ago, and uh, thank you for taking part in that as <laughs> well. Whew. Um, if you want to take part in this for next time, and hopefully because of the next race, we should actually be able to do it at a more normal time and, and all that. Um, definitely please, please, uh, send your feedback to feedback at F1, uh, what fun with cars.com. That's the one. That was the one. And, uh, and, and certainly you can go to fun with cars.com. There are links to our Facebook and Twitter feeds and, uh, you can leave comments right on the show on our page as well. And that's all super great to, uh, let us know what you think. And, uh, we will, we will do that. And I couldn't find it now that I was looking for it, but, um, oh, no. So I posted on the page um, that, uh, hey, guys, bad news. I haven't seen the race yet. But good news is because I, bo- I have a daughter. And we got lots of people commenting and liking it and uh, congratulating me. So thank you very much, everyone, for, uh, for your support and uh, being cool about it. And a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, no worries at all. You know, take all the time you need. That's great. Some people saying, oh, well, if you're going to be late, you should really do a double show because, you know, you, you owe us. Um, so, but you know what, as I say, as we're only partway through, uh, most of the way through feedback and we're, you know, what, what 70 minutes into the show or whatever, I guess you pretty much got that. So there you go. Um, here it is yeah, a little bit late, but, uh, hopefully, uh, it is tides everyone over until Monza, the delicious pizza feast that is Monza and, uh, oh. and off you go. And I did actually, some people were asking about if the baby has a name or if, uh, posting pictures of it. Cause I didn't want to spam everyone's, it's everyone's, everyone's page with, uh, with baby photos. Um, but, uh, I did in that comment thread, I did actually go and, and post a little picture of me and Olive watching spa and, uh, that is her little name and she is adorable. So that is... About it for feedback. Jim's Jim's baby will forever be called Tapanon. No, she's not. Oh, but just just weird Uncle Robin over here. <laughs> I don't know. It's... I thought it was cool, Uncle Robin. It was, but no, this whole Tapanon business. <laughs> I don't know. Oh my gosh! Look at this! I actually beat you in predictions hey you did look at that <laughs> it's uh i beat you by uh, i was 60th for belgium uh instead of being 72nd like you are so far from award-winning performances yet but in context we did we did quite well i'm not disappointed at all except team spreadsheet team heuristic model damien Predicted 100% accurately. Uh, that that was funny. After all was said and done, just, the, it was Rosberg on pole again I, and Ricardo for the win again. So bonus points have been awarded to, or no points, which is the best, Anne Shaw, who predicted this with zero points as well. It was, it was only Anne and, uh, and Damien in the spreadsheet that, uh, that predicted zero points with a Rosberg pole and Ricardo win. Well, uh, here's the craziest well bit Well done that, to though. those folks. If you look overall, Damien is now ahead of you, 27th oh, no. instead of 28th. 
And he's got you by one point right oh, now. Oh, man, that's going to have to change. Yeah, that's a big, big problem. That is no good. Yeah, so I, I came 72nd with my Rosberg-Hamilton prediction, which uh, obviously did not go well. Lots of other people also uh, were sim- had similar issues. But funny, the, the prediction that, were, that you used to beat me was Botas-Botas. Yes. That was the one that did better. So we did have a lot of people picking Hamilton-Rosberg, uh, which worked out pretty well, and a couple other ones. But It's so funny when you say that. I was thinking, it's like, I didn't get any Botox. Dude, this is all natural. Oh, Valetary Botas. Sorry. Um, two folks at the uh, at the other end of the spectrum here. Uh, David Munchie Swanbro and Leanne Lister predicted Massa for the pole and Hamilton for the win, netting them 26 points each. Yeah. Not so awesome. That but, is unfortunate. Hey, sometimes it'd be like that. But, I mean, huge shout-out to uh, Ann Shaw, Matt Dykey, Dykey? Uh, D-Y-K-I. John Stegman, Andrew Winter. What is it? Four-way tie for first place. Yeah, and Andrew Winter, 36 points for all four of them. That's uh, pretty cool. That is amazing. Um, And if we had anything like double points for the last round, it would be like half points or something. But we don't. But we don't. So it's just (laughs) they're just doing – but that's cool. That's a four-way tie for – That's really funny, half points. I like that concept. It's been – Well, but actually we do – invariably we do have double points because it will be the points awarded. Oh, wait. No, it's not. Position. It's position. Woo. Thank goodness. I freaked myself out and made myself feel better. Anyway, there okay. So I just have this goal. I need to get better than Damien. Damien has 81 points. I have 82, and that is not acceptable to me. So how am well, I going to fix that? Yeah, you should do that. It's Monza. It's high speed. It's it's Ferrari's home turf, as though that means enough to matter for Ferrari. It's my favorite racetrack on the calendar. We love I don't know pizza. how much that affects your predictions. It doesn't. <laughs> It you know really it's more, just, more so than spa. Or, it, it, or, spa is you know, an incredible, incredible place. Suzuka, or as a race Monica. track, spa mm-hmm. is just phenomenal. It can't be beaten, right? But as a racing venue for Formula One, Monza is so unique and special and cool, and it brings out crazy coolness in the Formula One cars. That I yeah, I do like spa. I do like Monza more than spa for Formula One racing. Parabolica, long straight. I know you love Lesbos. High, high average speeds, and it'll be very interesting to see how it works with, because you know we have the you know the chicanes built into the built in the track, followed by long straightaway, and we're lower down downforce, lots more torque. There could be a little tail wagging, some driftiness going on. Oh yeah, and as <laughs> it's been very Excuse controversial me. in the world, is they're you know paving some of the runoff through the Parabolica, uh, with some people saying it's blasphemy, and that's like the best part. <coughs> Of the whole thing is that it's uh, is that it's all you know that's the gravel runoff and if you, if you run wide there's a penalty and so on. Um, I think probably this is ultimately the right thing to do for safety and all the other races that happen there. But that's been its own controversy about you know parabolica pavement gate. But anyway, yeah, I think Rosberg will take the pole and I think Hamilton will win. I'm actually leaving my really? prediction from last time. Wow, and going with it. I think that that's that's much more rare for you to leave the prediction alone. And why do you think Rosberg on pole and Hamilton win? I'm surprised by that. I really feel like, if anything, Hamilton is overdue for a pole. That's not how it works. That's not who's due. Oh, I thought that's how it works. This is why I'm beating you in predictions, <laughs> Robin. <laughs> you know, it's I'm, not who's due. I feel obligated to remind you that I won predictions outright last year. That's true, and I'm winning predictions outright. Well, not outright, because it's you against everyone else. You were the best of the thing. So it seems like you would know that it's not about who's due what. <laughs> That it's about it's about how it all shakes out. So are you sticking with Botas Botas or what are you what are you where are you going? Why why are you trying to take my thunder like that? I'm just looking at what you have right now and wondering if you're gonna do that. Well, yeah. Oh, cool. I am gonna stick with Botas Botas, and I'll tell you why. 
Um, I I will say this. I'm going to do something that I've never done before. This is unprecedented on Fun With Cars. I am going to stick with uh, Botas Botas for Monza. And I'm very likely to stick with Botas Botas for Singapore as well. How about that? The reason being, I feel strongly that the Williams car is... it. Remained strong at Spa. I thought it had a legit chance at uh, being a bit of an upset car. But even more so at Monza, I feel like um, Williams' straight line speed combined with with Mercedes power has a chance of being a proper upsetter. And I think definitely between the teammates that Botas is the guy to do it. And it seems like generally that Singapore could be that way as well. Although, you know. Who knows what will happen? Hamilton's totally going to win in Singapore. I mean, everybody knows that. But <laughs> either way, that's, so you, that, are you officially putting the prediction for both, or are you just saying it's likely to happen? I'm way? not doing anything officially. It can all change. But as it stands, I'm definitely officially doing uh, Valtteri Botas on pole, and Valtteri, Valtteri Botas wins the race in Monza. That is official. Alrighty. I'm sticking with that. All right. We need to wrap the show up before Friday practice starts at Monza. <laughs> but uh, thank you, as always, folks, for bearing with us on our somewhat screwy release schedule. I think we'll actually be pretty well back to normal in the foreseeable future. Um, no guarantees. There's no no normal here. There, I, I now do a podcast with a father. I mean, that's that's amazing. And and I will, uh, I will say a, a loving father at that. And I think uh, Olive has been a tremendous child thus far. And I credit... Uh, Olive's uh, amazing father for that as well. Right, I, I appreciate that. I, to be fair, my wife did all the hard work in this. <laughs> in, in, in the, uh, you know, when I had to stop watching qualifying, if that was the biggest <laughs> sacrifice I had to make, was, was that followed by an uh? I mean, you know, I was like, should I leave? No, I'm just going to close the laptop. I'm going to, I'm going to be here for this, and it was amazing. So, yeah, that's uh, that still kind of wigs me out that uh, I'm somebody's dad, but apparently that never quite goes away. So, well, I mean, but I think about that. I mean, as you learn more about your father. It, no one ever thought, oh, I am now a father and I'm ready to be a father. You know, it just kind of happens. And like, I, I think thus far, uh, I'm going to go out and say that. I'm going to say so publicly that uh, Jim Lau is award-winning father status as far as wow, I'm concerned. Wow, that's, that's amazing. But she hasn't given me any, like, cards or anything yet. I've not yet been a father through Father's Day to, like, get, like, the proper recognition. But either way, it's been an awesome couple weeks. Um, it's been, like, a week and a half uh, for um, Olive existing in the world. And, and well, uh, and, uh, and very doably, Olive was, in fact, early. Yeah, man. She, uh, she, her timing actually was impeccable. So, anyway, but she's, she's, she's good. Uh, her mom is great. And, uh, uh, and I'm hanging in there, so it is all good, and uh, and that is good times. I mean, I, I why wouldn't I be great? You know, I'm just I just have to help take care of her. But it's like you know, my wife did all the all the tricky, crazy, hard stuff, and uh, that is amazing uh, in, in the whole thing. So anyway, um, she's also letting me uh, be out late in podcasting, and she's dealing with she's at home with Olive right well, now. And, so. and and for that reason, among many many others, huge respect to your wife for those reasons. Exactly. So um, till next week, which is just a couple of days away. I am Jim Lau. Thank you very much for listening. And I am Robin Warner, also thanking you for listening.